Welcome to On Cities with host Carrie Pennebod. Over the next hour, you'll learn from Carrie and her guests how the design of the built environment shapes the quality of our lives. Now, here is Carrie. Welcome to On Cities. My name is Carrie Pennebad, and this show is dedicated to the design of our cities. Cities are amongst the greatest of human endeavors. They are the backdrop for our lives and the legacy that we leave for future generations to inhabit. I've come to understand that the quality of our daily lives, our health, the health of our planet, our sense of connection, and even our happiness is directly influenced by the design of our built environment. And yet we seldom discuss what makes great cities and how can we work together to design a better world. Today, I'm delighted to introduce my next guest, Francisco Rodriguez Suarez. Francisco is currently the Clayton T. Myers Professor in Architecture and Director of the School of Architecture at the University of Illinois. He studied architecture at Georgia Tech in Paris and at the Harvard Graduate School of Design, where he earned a Master's of Architecture with distinction, winning the American Institute of Architects Medal, the Portfolio Award, and a Fulbright Fellowship. For nine years, he served as the Dean of the University of Puerto Rico School of Architecture and has taught and lectured at universities across the globe. He has served as the director of Informa, an award-winning academic journal, and has edited five books, including Alma Mater, Aula Magna, Chronologies of an Architectural Pedagogy, and Contemporary Architecture in Puerto Rico. He's a fellow of the American Institute of Architects, and his practice, RSVP Architects, has earned over 10 AIA awards and citations and several Biennale awards in different categories. Francisco, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm delighted to be speaking with you. Gary, thank you for the invitation. I think it's it's going to be a pleasure and an honor to share this hour with uh, uh, with you and, and with everybody else who's listening to, to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, while I introduced you as Francisco, everyone that knows you and calls you a friend calls you Paco. So from here on out, I'm going to be addressing you as Paco. Perfect. Thank you. Paco, you grew up in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. You're you're the child of immigrants. How did this experience shape your thoughts about architecture and cities? Well, Puerto Rico is is an interesting case uh because it it, it is a layer of of uh of uh of different uh traditions, right? Uh, you could say that that politically is is the U.S. Uh, I think culturally is is Latin America. I think geographically it's the Caribbean, and historically it's it's a series of layers of of Africa of of, of native Taino Indians. And I think that its its richness is uh, is that all of those are are present in one way or or, or another, and they certainly were when when I was growing up. And uh, and you know there there were places. Uh, you know, like like old San Juan, that for me were were fundamental in in many stages of my life. When I went as a kid with with school trips to to learn about history, or or when I went there as a as a teenager, going to the bars and the restaurants and the cafes, or when I returned as a university student that was studying architecture, or eventually as a university professor, or even as a practicing architect working on that on that city. Uh, at the same time, I I would spend. You know, some of the vacation time visiting my my father's family in in Spain. So I so I was learning 
uh, about a different culture, uh, about different about a different city, about Madrid, uh, and and always bringing back and forth those those two places that then became three when when I went to the U.S. for a for my university education, and and, and then it became this triangle between the the east coast of the U.S., the Caribbean, and uh, and, and Spain, and and I think my 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 education, my my life, my my thoughts, my uh, all of that has been has been marked by by a life that 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 has been spent between this this triangle where where I feel on the one hand like I like I'm part of all of those three, but on the other on the other side on the other hand I'm I'm also a, I'm also an immigrant everywhere I go. I'm also a foreigner. I'm a foreigner in the U.S. I'm a foreigner in Spain, and sometimes I feel like a foreigner back home in in Puerto Rico as well. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, when I hear you describe um, this kind of upbringing, I also see that it's a confluence of, let's say, the old world and the new world, and mm -hmm. maybe a, a an upbringing that allows you to have um, kind of an interest and a, an empathy for multiple means of expression, you know. So it's uh, it's a kind of open-minded attitude, I think, um, that might emerge from that type of upbringing. Um, Paco, I'm curious, when did you realize that you wanted to pursue a career in architecture? I think I, I always, like many, like many children, I had a fascination with sketching and drawing and doodling and, and, and also playing with Legos. Uh, uh, and so did my, my kids when they were, when they were growing up and, and I constantly designed buildings and drew airplanes and, <clears throat> and, uh, But, but for some reason I, I don't think I ever had the, the proper guidance uh for it and, and I always thought that it was a that it was a hobby uh, <clears throat> and, and even when I applied for uh, for university I applied for aerospace engineering I was fascinated by planes I, I thought I was going to be a designer of spaceships and, and airplanes and airports and 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 I remember that I started I, I had an offer to start in the summer. Uh, program uh, at Georgia Tech, and I and I accepted that offer uh, because it gave us free tuition for that and room and board for that summer if we started then. And and I remember at the suggestion of, of my father, he said, "Why don't you Why don't you walk to the architecture building and 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 look at it? Let's check out what they do. You know, check out whether this is really a hobby or something that 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 you're gonna like." Uh, uh, At a different level, and 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 I did, and and I went over there, and and they were preparing uh, for for an exhibition to open the, the the semester, and they had all the models and the drawings, especially the graduate school models and, and and perspectives and sections, and I was immediately fascinated by, and I said, whoa, this this is more than a hobby. I mean, this is, you know, I want to do this, I want to do these drawings, and I want to do these these models, and 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 luckily. I went into the office right then and there, and and uh, and inquired about the possibility of, of starting in, in September in, in an architecture, something that maybe now wouldn't be able to happen. But that moment, they checked my my background schedule. I mean, uh, SATs, grades, whatever, and they say, "Okay, done. You're, you're going to be in architecture in, in in September." And and you know, rest is history. It was probably best decision I I, I ever made, and. Except for having to face my father and, and hearing that I told you so, uh, yeah. but well, uh, he, up to this day, he still he still reminds me of that day. Yeah, well, you had uh, you were fortunate to have parents that saw a, um, a a kind of inherent talent 
and then allowed you to pursue that talent or at least um, help you foster it. So uh, I'm sure they're very proud of you today. Um, well, I mean, we could jump. I mean, talking about your education, I know you received an undergraduate degree at Georgia Tech, and we actually met at Harvard um, at the Graduate School of Design and then later worked at the office of Rodolfo Machado and Jorge Silvetti in Boston. These two architects were formative figures at both the Rhode Island School of Design and Harvard for nearly 40 years. Um, did their mentorship encourage you to pursue a career as both a practitioner and an educator, or did this come by by other influences? Absolutely, I, I think that you know I, I was I was fascinated by the fact that they could they could practice at a very high level, they could teach at a very high level, and they, and they could research and write at a very high level uh, as well. And 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 I thought. You know, this is exactly what I what I would love to to do. Uh, I I don't think right now that I could just practice architecture or just teach architecture. Uh, I think that that pursuit of a of a balance between those those two worlds is uh, is is fundamental in in my life. And and certainly Jorge and Rodolfo were uh, were were mentors and uh, you know were the, were the heroes uh, back then when 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 we were studying. I, you know, I could see the. And the fact that they that they thought Jorge Rodolfo and, and, and several others at, at that time that they thought that architecture was a scale of urban design and urban design was a scale of architecture and then they were inseparable, right? You, 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 if you thought about architecture, you had to think about the city and the role of architecture in the in the city, and that marked me and and, and informed me and 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 ever since I, I have been working on on an architecture that is part of that context and that, and that it makes. Uh, a better city and a better community. Yeah. Well, I think anybody who's achieved any type of success, I think um, I've learned has had great mentors. And I would say that uh, Rodolfo and Jorge have been mentors to generations of individuals who have gone on um, to have successful practices and also successful careers in, uh, in academia. I, for one, am also in that tradition. So I'm grateful for them as well. So maybe let's turn to to speak a little bit more specifically about your your work. Um, you've edited a number of books, one of which is entitled Chronologies of an Architectural Pedagogy. Um, Baco, can you share or at least provide our listeners with the greatest lessons that you learned in working on this particular project? Well, let me let me start by by saying that. Uh... It, it sounds like a history book, but I'm not a historian, and, and that's important to say at, at, at the beginning. Uh, so, so I'm not researching uh, history with the, with the discipline that a, that a that a historian would. I think at, at you know, like like yourself, Carrie, we 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 were practicing architects who came into academia. We started teaching design studio, and we we're fascinated by academia. And, and all of a sudden, I, I realized at some point at the University of Puerto Rico that I was going to be involved in in, in other aspects of, of the school. I, I was asked to coordinate the, the undergraduate program. And, and a couple of years after that, I'm still 37 years old, I'm, I find myself as, as dean of the of the school. And, and you know, I'm a, I'm a practicing architect, so I'm in a room meeting with all these deans who, who, who are PhDs and, and they're in their 50s and 60s and, and, and have made a career in, in, in academia. And, and so I said, I 
I wanted to understand the university. I wanted to understand the, the history and the processes that, that, that brought the university to that point where it was right now and what the challenges were going to be in the future. So I started with my own discipline uh, of, of architecture and, and looking back into the various uh, avenues that, that it took for it to, to end in a, in a university uh, curriculum of four, five, or six years with so many courses and, and so many credits, how it came to be. A lot of people think it's always been like this. It's always going to be like like this. And, and what were the changes? What were the historical processes that took place for that to become uh, what it was. And, and that was the research that, that I started uh, undertaking for chronologies of an architectural pedagogy. I I ended up visiting over 100 schools in five different continents and interviewing uh, professors, uh, organizing symposia, uh, researching, uh, you know, in, in Europe, in, in, in Latin America, in, in Asia, in, in North America. Uh, and uh, and it was a very beautiful and and uh, and fun project to to do because I was understanding a lot of uh, uh, a lot of the things that I was working with or dealing with, and and it got to the point that then I was so interested in the in the university as a as a as an institution that I started working with with another one of the deans with with uh, Jorge Rodriguez Beru from the General Studies uh, faculty in Puerto Rico writing books then about the challenges of the university as an institution in the 21st century. And that's how Alma Mater, Alma Mater and Aula Magna uh, came to be. So all of a sudden from not on, from doing a research project because I didn't wasn't really comfortable in a room with all the academics that knew what, what the university was, where it came from and where it was heading, all of a sudden, I end up writing about the university and its challenges in the in the 21st century, which which I still do. I'm still involved in 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 that process. <clears throat> I think one of the uh, the interesting things about chronologies is is that it, it ends at the moment that that we're that we're living, but then the second part of that is we turn around and we look into the future. So chronologies was mostly a, a, a something that ended with the with with the, the end of the millennium and the 20th century. And the new project is now a project of the of the new millennium and the and the twenty first century, and where are we heading, and 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 how far ahead of our lives can can we can we start understanding about the the future relevance of our discipline of architecture, and the future relevance of the university as an institution in society. So let's delve into that a little bit more because formal architectural education is actually quite young maybe as compared to other disciplines. Um, and I guess given your interest in the subject, you were talking about how initially you did it in order to learn more about a subject, which I find is usually the reason why people pursue any type of research uh, endeavor. Um, can, can you provide maybe a quick overview for our listeners uh, about architectural pedagogy in the U.S.? Um, and then maybe we'll turn to where you see the current challenges of a university education, um, maybe specifically that of architecture moving forward. But if you could maybe provide us with a, a brief arc of architectural education um, to this point. So, so let's go back to to, to the initial schools. And, and again, I am not a historian. Uh, uh, you know, I think Aristoteles, Aristoteles and, and, uh, and Plato with uh, with uh, the academy uh, or the lyceum, 
um, setting the, 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 you know, organizing with, with other people to talk and to inquire and to follow the Socratic method of, uh, of questioning and, and, and learning. So we can go to ancient Greece to, to talk about, you know, the, the philosophers and their idea of, of, of education. I think it was Plato in the academy that, that said that the one requirement is as nobody can enter here without the knowledge of, ge- of geometry. Uh, so, you know, might put that on my on my door in, in architecture school as uh, as well. Uh, but then it isn't until un, until then around the, the, the first uh, millennium where a Roman senator uh, who retires to his to the town of Vivarium and uh, and and in a monastery founds a monastery to teach and and organize knowledge in seven categories and in the seven liberal arts and then subdivided three of them in the trivium and four of them in the in the quadrivium and 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 that that kind of uh teaching and and pursuit of knowledge in a monastery ends up with the, the funding of the first uh universities uh then in the, at the turn between the first millennium and the and the second millennium starting with bologna in italy and then we know the story of cambridge and and oxford salamanca in spain coimbra in portugal paris uh and uh and and that is you know the start of the university as as we know it right that, which originally started as something called studium generale which is like general studies i think it's 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 uh, salamanca the first one that coins the term university for for the, un, the universal knowledge that was being acquired in these in these places and and um, <clears throat> but then you you have to you have to understand how how architecture was was uh, passed from generation to generation the, the master masons uh, you know buildings in, in the times of the cathedral that took three hundred years and there were several generations of master masons that were involved in 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 that process and push it into into the Renaissance and and. Uh, and, and, and the idea of the of the atelier with with a master, uh, you know, we we know that Michelangelo in in Florence uh, was studying uh, in the, with Domenico Ghirlandaio in as in, a, in an atelier. He also spent time at the at the Palazzo Medici, where where we know. Sorry, that... Paco, not to interject here, but yeah. just to to you know when you're describing this method what you're saying is that the master builder is working within what we understand to be a guild system correct yeah. so it's outside of the formal university right and they're training by way of a uh, an atelier which is another word for a studio so right there's two of them right there's the guild the master mason of of doing and 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 following the doing and the making and then there's one with uh, with the atelier with a master in the atelier uh, that that's probably a more reduced group, but actually working specifically with a master and copying his work, and and that eventually goes into the you know to make this long story short to the to the royal academies, and then the royal academies you know in in in, in then in France in in the nineteenth century we begin to see both the the polytechnic school teaching architecture, but also the Ecole de Beaux Arts, and you see now one that is. That is a fine art school and another one that is a polytechnic school, and they're both teaching uh, architecture. I think both of those traditions cross the Atlantic. The, the, the Beaux Arts to the Northeast, uh, MIT, uh, uh, opening their program, and then the polytechnic tradition at Illinois, where where I am, and both started their programs in 1867. Uh, the the two original schools of architecture, one private, one public. Uh, <clears throat> In in uh, but a lot of the universities that teach architecture right now, 
did not immediately start a school. There were still students in the U.S. who were sent to Paris to study or who studied in the ateliers. Again, the idea of the master of the atelier uh, with uh, architects who had gone to the Col de Beaux-Arts and came back to Boston, to New York, to, to Chicago. And then architects would train with them in their offices and then might go for one year, two years to Europe to study the the, the classics, whether in Paris or, or Rome or or, or both, but but I think it's a more than anything else is it's a twentieth century uh, phenomenon. The the you know the American university as 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 we know it, also influenced by 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 Berlin and the, and the changes and the, and and the of the research university in in the in the nineteenth century, and and then you see a lot of other universities begin to open in the U.S. following that tradition, like Stanford, like the University of Chicago, like Johns Hopkins, that are based on the research university tradition. Uh, so, for example, Harvard doesn't have an architecture school until the 1930s. That was, you know, uh, 40, 50, 60, 70 years after, after the initial schools of, of architecture, after its neighbor, MIT, already had a school of architecture. I think Illinois had graduated uh, an African-American woman as, with a bachelor's in architecture and a master's in city planning before Harvard had an architecture school. And Beverly Green went on to become the the first licensed uh, African American woman architect in the in the U.S. That all happened be before uh, Harvard had had an architecture school. So, and, and and there have been a lot of schools that have opened in the in the later in the in the mid '60s, and I think they 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 were opening in a moment where where things were changing between the modernist period and the postmodernist period. There there are two fundamental books that were written, as you know, in 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 eighteen. I mean, 1965, 66, by Aldo Rossi, the architecture of the city, and by Robert Venturi and Complexity and Contradiction, and that really changed, uh, you know, the, the perception of architecture, the relationship to the city, the relationship to tradition, the relationship to language, and uh, and also the 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 way that we taught uh, architecture, which probably took a few more years for it to 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 have an impact in the at the university level. But it certainly had a big impact, and and I think we we're still following. We're, we were having a conversation before we we started the the program about whether we were in one of those moments right now. Are we in the modernist period, postmodern? Is it is it? Can we call it something? And, and I think we're basically still operating on under the postmodern critique and what it allowed. And and I think the the multiplicity of events and and traditions and and influences that are taking place in the architecture school right now, probably a product, a, a byproduct of that postmodern critique, even if what we are designing in, in, in our schools, what we're seeing is not, is not necessarily uh, related to the, to the postmodern language as, as we knew it back then. Well, you said a lot in that answer, Paco. I mean, of course, you know, within the short amount of time that we had, you had to sort of trace the arc of uh, the sort of founding of the idea of a university, you know, taking it back to the kind of monastic traditions, or actually, in your case, beginning really in antiquity with the posing of critical questions. Um, and then, of course, highlighting for our listeners and also maybe even students of architecture that are listening that the way in which we actually pursue an architectural education today 
is really just a little bit over 150 years old. So it's mm -hmm. really a relatively new way of doing things that um, came out of, as you point out, the guild system, which was more uh, connected to the art of making and crafting, um, perhaps the more practical applications of the discipline versus the university that maybe um, distanced us from that reality, moving more into a kind of theoretical framework or way of thinking about architecture. So um, there's a lot um, that you said there. And you also spoke about how that investigation led you to think about the university and its challenges moving forward in the 21st century. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to take a quick break now. Uh, and when we return, I would like to re-engage with the question of uh, the challenges that uh, con contemporary universities are facing uh, in the 21st century. So we're going to take a quick break and please uh, come back to listen to the second half of this conversation. Thank you. Absolutely. Looking forward. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Did you know that the quality of our daily lives is directly influenced by the design of our built environment? Our homes, our work, the way we move, and where we play are all shaped by the design of our cities. This thought-provoking new show from architect, urban designer, and educator, Carrie Pennebod examines the complex forces that shape the making of our physical world. Lively conversations with leading experts in a variety of fields engage some of the greatest challenges facing our cities today, including climate change, affordable housing, embedded technologies, infrastructure design, architecture and the arts, urban policy, social mobility, and much, much more. Tune in every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, so that together we can design a better world. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to On Cities with Carrie Pennebon. We hope you're enjoying today's episode. Now back to the show with Carrie. Welcome back to On Cities. I'm continuing my conversation with Francisco Rodriguez Suarez. Prior to the break, um, he was telling us or providing us with a kind of arc 
um, explaining the kind of history or, or the evolution of the university um, and specifically the history of architectural education uh, in the United States. But you also mentioned prior to that, that um, the university, as we know it, is uh, going to be or already experiencing major challenges um, as we enter the 21st century. Um, Baco, can you elaborate on some of the challenges that you feel uh, the university is facing today? Well, I mentioned that the the the, the, the American university, as, as we know it, the, the large sort of public uh, research institution is, is quintessentially a 20th century uh, institution. Uh, it's, it's the University of the of the Pell Grant. It's the University of the GI Bill. It's the University of an incredible growth since the since the nineteen fifties, uh, and it's and it's a university that looks at back at that moment uh, as its heyday, and and I think it it looks in, on how to maintain that or keep it growing in the in the twenty first century where where the both the social and, and and political climate are completely different from what we experienced in, and even the economic climate in the in the twentieth uh, century. Uh, I, so, so I think it's important to to have this discussion uh, to understand where we're moving to. Uh, this this twenty first century is moving at a pace that that is that is incredibly difficult to digest, especially for our for our large public institutions that you know are very bureaucratic, lots of committees, lots of. Uh, uh, approval processes that sometimes when you finish approving something you you almost have to change it now because everything has has changed uh, i mentioned that steve jobs completely transformed four industries in the first decade of the of the 21st century things are moving at a at a pace where where sometimes i say that they happened in spite of our best intentions and not because of us anymore we're we're not the the, the actors of uh, of change of implementing change uh I think in the world the world is seeing a lot more uh private endeavors uh think tanks uh research in in, in private corporations that that is taking place uh I just heard last night about a, a, a about somebody who was offered tenure at, at an Ivy League and and rejected it because a, a private company offered more for you know that person to come in and, and perform research there. So maybe things that, that wouldn't have happened in the 20th century are, are, are happening now. Now, in, in terms of, of architecture, where, where are we? I, I, I think a lot of, a lot of uh, administrators, and, and, and I, wanna, I wanna make a little parenthesis here that I, I don't see myself as an administrator. I wasn't trained to be an administrator. I'm a designer. I'm a trained designer, and, and I'm a designer in an administrative position. So I will, I will design processes. I will design solutions. I will design collaborations. I, I, I will design possibilities. And, and I usually say that the day that I run out of things to design, that that's the moment that I step down and and, and go into into something else. But the the big challenges I think are precisely because of the fact that none of us were trained as administrators, as university professors, it's difficult for us to look beyond the present moment because there's so many challenges with accreditation, with tuition, with numbers, with that, that we almost have enough in our plate at the very moment to speculate about the future or, or, or talk about the, the past. And I think it's important at, at right now to look a little bit, you know, maybe five years, 10 years from now, how are things going to be? 
are in this theater of life as we know it, are we going to be participants in it? Are we going to be actors? Are we going to be the screenwriters? Are we going to be the designers of the of the of the scenery of that theater of life? Or are we going to be spectators of something that happens somewhere else? It is decided by someone else. It is written by someone else. It is acted by somebody else. So, so what is going to be a role in a, in a world that is changing at, at this pace? And are we going to be able to sit down in that table where decisions are made? Or are we go, just going to be handed decisions by their politicians or, or, or other administrators to tell us, okay, from now on, it's going to be like this, whether you like it or not. And, and I think it's important for architects to to have a place on that on that table I, I keep saying that it, that in the university where most of the degrees are strictly about the arts or the sciences so maybe you know humanities and, and arts on one side and technology and sciences on the other architecture is really the only discipline that it that it's uh, that it's an overlap of, of those two worlds so so you know we are we are ideal uh translators between those those two worlds and and the fact that we have a connection with the practice with most of our schools are professional schools i i think we're we're ideally geared and trained to be a link between these two worlds at the university and also a link to the practicing and the private world and the professional world out there and it's one of the things that i'm that i am trying to do right now as an administrator of an architecture school in the 21st century well, it's it's funny because I don't think everybody would agree with you. I mean, in the sense that um, I happen to be one that that does, but I don't think everybody would. I think there are some um, uh, faculties that believe that um, collaborations with private industry, um, I don't want to use the word cheapen, <laughs> but I think um, call into question the integrity of an academic pursuit. But I would agree with you that I think as a university, we can no longer do things the same way we have been doing them. If we do that, I believe that we will eventually move towards oblivion. <laughs> uh, when you turn now and you see that you can get certificates on Google, professional certificates mm. that cost, you know, a fraction of what a university education would cost, or you can attend Dyson University and get a full degree, uh, as well as get a high-paying job at Dyson. I mean, I don't think that the universities can uh, ignore this. And perhaps in listening to your response, I think that there could be, and I think a lot of institutions are beginning to do this, the ability to engage in more public-private partnerships so that one can engage in the best of both worlds. You know, the research tank ability of a university the university's ability to ask questions that sometimes you ponder for much longer periods of time that you might ponder in practice. Uh, but then conversely, you know, practice offers real world experiences and real world applications. And so I think the idea of uh, public private partnerships is something that can't be ignored. And then also, I think when you speak about new models, and I've interviewed many guests on the show on various topics and a theme that I keep seeing coming back to the table is more decentralized models, uh, models that are lighter, leaner, um, that offered more uh, possibilities. So perhaps this could also be the case in uh, university education. But um, but I think you're right. I don't think we can continue to do things the way we've done them in the past. And I think we have to be able to embrace innovative methods to not only teach, but also partner with the world around us. Um, Paco, 
you you said that you aren't an, you're a designer and I believe yeah. rather than an administrator, but you have held some important administrative uh, positions. Um, you were the dean at the University of Puerto Rico for a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was curious to know what that experience was like for you, um, having uh, started that at a relatively young age and maybe what you feel your greatest contributions to the school were during your tenure. I think that the University of Puerto Rico is a fantastic place. It's it's a it's a, it's a wonderful uh, university. With I met some of the best faculty members that I've that I've that I've ever met. Completely committed to to the place and to making a profound difference in in education and Puerto Rican society. The students are are you know wonderful students, incredibly talented. That that I still you know some of them have. have Come with me to to Illinois. With some, I, I still maintain a, a dialogue, whether they're in New York or Europe or or the West Coast or the Caribbean, uh, or, or still practicing in in Puerto Rico. And, and and I was there for twenty years. So some of some of my best memories are about learning about the university, being at the University of of, of Puerto Rico. I think what I what I what I brought to the table as a, a as a dean uh, there. Uh, I, I was committed to bringing in the best practitioners on the island back to the University of Puerto Rico to teach to teach studios there. So everybody who was a, a great architect at, at, at the end of my tenure was teaching at, at the UPR School of Architecture, and also to 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 create an epicenter for for the discussion and the creation and dissemination of knowledge. I think in the nine years that I was that I was dean, we we published over over thirty books and, and publications that came out of the the, the School of Architecture, and, and we created a center called uh, Ciudad, which was an urban think tank to, to think about the, the virtues of urban life and, and how to how to provide an education in an architecture schools that, that was quintessentially uh, grounded on the on the urban condition and also to be able to to create uh, and Ciudad was a was a multidisciplinary center. So it had by definition, when I created a, a member of each of the faculties in the, the board was composed by members of each of the faculties at the University of Puerto Rico. So it was recognizing that that the urban the urbanism or the urban condition or the urban topic, we needed to have lawyers who could talk about the the uh the the right to, to public space, the right to uh to 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 housing. We could have uh, educators who could who could start teaching about these things in in, in grade school. We could have uh, urban geographers. We could have uh, uh, scientists. So it was a very rich discussion that created then uh, a series of symposia, a series of publications, uh, and and up to this day, I still talk to to members of of that board, and and uh, we still participate in in. In publications, even though I'm I'm, I'm now at, at Illinois, we still collaborate, and uh, and it was a great time doing that at, at at UPR. I think when I finished, and I finished because I was I was going to start my the, the presidency at, at ACSA. I wasn't sure whether whether I was going to tackle on another uh, administrative position. I I thought that I was going to dedicate more time to practice and more time to to actually researching. The second part of chronologies of an architectural pedagogy, which was how do we project it into the 21st century and the and the future, and and eventually I, I decided that uh, that uh, that I did want to to pursue the opportunity of shaping a, a another school in the in the 21st century, 
I thought Illinois was a fantastic place with an incredible tradition, an incredible history, the resources to do it, the, the connections to the city of Chicago and its, and its fantastic uh, traditions in, in, in architecture. And I've been lucky enough to work there with, with, with alums and, and, uh, and, and campus uh, administrators and students and, and, and faculty who, who support this idea. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're trying to make it happen. And, and uh, even though I arrived there in January of 2020, right in time for the, for the pandemic, I think it's been it's I've had a wonderful time there and 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 certainly pushing this agenda forward, discussing you know the role of architecture uh, and the city, looking for collaborations with uh, with the landscape school and and uh, with the urban planning and urban design uh, school. Uh, I think some reason you know in the in the 20th century when when other programs became completely separated. Uh, and isolated, you know, with that CERT created urban an urban design program at the GSD in the in the fifties, which which I think was necessary to have that discussion at the academic level. What, what I think is problematic is when when eventually, you know, you can talk about architecture if you have an architecture degree, you can talk about urban design if you have an urban design degree, or you can talk about landscape if you have a landscape degree. I, I remember having uh, Mexican professor Mario Shednan while while I was at the GSD and Mario said I am an architect I am an urbanist and I am a landscape architect I'm a generalist and I think it would be impossible for me to do any project that doesn't consider all three and and in a I, sense I feel the same way. Paco, um, just uh, for for the sake of our listeners, um, Jose Luis Cert that you referenced, you know, yep. was the dean at Harvard uh, Graduate School of Design. He was a, a Catalan. Um, mm-hmm. architect who was the dean from 1953 to 1969. And he's actually the one that established the fir- the world's first degree program in urban design. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, it, it, in hindsight, it is controversial in the sense that, or, or, or has been um, s- sometimes critiqued because uh, under CERT, there was an advancement for what was called urban renewal, right? Where mm-hmm. um, urban designers were meant to move into neighborhoods and in essence, reconsider them by oftentimes demolishing large sectors of the city. Um, I think with the intention of wanting to do good, but in hindsight, um, through a critiques by, for example, um, Jane Jacobs, uh, we began to see how um, there was a kind of disconnect from an understanding of the existing fabric and the neighborhood and the social structures that gave way, uh, not to mention some of the extraordinary architecture that was removed, uh, you know, for, let's say, the good of urban renewal. So, I hear when you when you talk about this is that, you know, there was a time prior to the Second World War where architecture and the design of cities and even to a certain degree engineering was also kind of under the purview of um architecture to a certain degree you know when i think about the work of for example otto wagner and others and so it was seen more as an interconnected um discipline following world war ii there was a kind of increasing specialization where again we see the urban design program at harvard being the first and then after that many uh, we see landscape architecture we see programs in sustainable design today so do you think this somehow um is a challenge for us do you, do you see this as a as a good thing or do you think that there should be ways that we reconnect um ourselves to to these kind of ancillary disciplines, be it landscape or urban design? 
I'll tell you my. It's interesting that uh, the building where our, the architecture school is at Illinois. We the first floor. There are three offices. One is architecture. One is landscape architecture. The other one's urban and, and regional planning. And there are three different schools with three directors and and three curriculum. Uh, we're starting to do work between the between the schools, uh, and and it seems like when when people realize that we're working interdisciplinarily between the between the schools, they're like, "Wow, that's amazing that you're doing this." And it's like, "Well, it's 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 how it was before, and and how it should be right now. It shouldn't be the exception. It should be the norm that all of us who are, who are working on on the city, on 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 the, on the landscape, uh, that we should." Share this knowledge that that we should be able to uh, to to work before be, be uh, and not have to remove one hat and put another hat or or show one diploma and then the other diploma to to say that yes I am allowed to think about uh, the landscape or or I have designed parks and and plazas and I get asked oh are you a landscape architect and no technically but but I think I have an, a solid education that allows me to to maneuver in in different disciplines uh so so i think it's going to be a, a challenging conversation because there's a lot of protectionism uh taking place in and uh so only people with uh with with that diploma or or that accreditation or that licensing exam can, can engage in the practice of, of of something that is that is protected and, and and i have some issues with that in the in in the u.s especially when you compare it to to other places in the world and 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 the world that I know better, like Latin America and and Europe, and uh, and and it's a difficult comparison because, you know, some of the schools in Latin America are free, and 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 in Europe, and and some of those schools you're immediately licensed when you finish. In some of those countries, they have architecture competitions for young architects to establish the, themselves. And then when you compare it with our system, where it's, you know. It, it, Education is becoming more and more expensive. There are schools that are over seventy thousand dollars in tuition uh, a year. So, so students are, you know, finishing with with student loans that it's that it's like a second mortgage in in their lives, and they're not licensed, and they don't have a system where they can get access to to projects. And where we're talking about a world that that it that is becoming more global, I, I think it's not. Uh, I, I think the platform is not. Uh, uh, right now, it's not balanced and it's and it's not fair. I I, I think we and, and every time when I was president of ACSA, I, I tried of the Association of Collegiate Schools of Architecture. I tried to bring this topic to the table with AIA, with a with a practice with the practitioners, and and with uh, INCARB, uh the regulators, and uh, and and there was no uh, there was no intention of having this this discussion, and 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 I think. In many ways, our system is is tying the hands of our of our younger students behind their behind their backs. It's it's putting it's putting them in a in a position uh, where where I think uh, other places they they have it easier uh, than us to develop uh, as as architects, as urbanists, as as landscape architects, as people who work on the on the city and i know of all the things that i'll say this is probably going to be the most uh controversial but but it's one that i'm that i'm committed to uh to fighting the fight and talking about it and trying to make a a, a difference and, and trying to look for opportunities like we did in the in the 20th century with with the gi bill with the pell grant you know how are we going to make education uh accessible i think we you know 
we we talk about excellence, but we need to talk about access, and and we need to find a way for access to be excellent, for excellence to be accessible in our universities. Otherwise, we're going to continue polarizing this, the 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 climate, the the political climate in 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 our country. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. Again, I think you said a lot in that answer. I think you wrote, um, you brought up the theme of generalization versus specialization, right? You know, the architect has always been the kind of great generalist, and that's what makes him or her, I think, a powerful force in society. Um, so, how do we contend with that in a world that is uh, kind of hyper specializing? Um, but then you also uh, spoke about, um, you know. Uh, access to education and also uh, the challenges of the university. You bring up the question of licensure um, within a professional environment, such as the professional architectural degree. And so I think in, in what you're responding, I wonder if what you're suggesting is we should move towards a, a um, an education where upon graduation in the United States, one can have licensure similar to models like Europe. I'm not sure if that was what you were suggesting or or perhaps something that we should be at least investigating or considering um, in light of a kind of, in, in light of some of the challenges that you've been speaking about up until I'm this saying point. the playing field, as we move to a more globalized uh, practice and, and education system, I'm saying that the, the playing field is not leveled. And, uh, and I know the Europeans, uh, you know, they moved... Uh, Education in a direction that was closer to the to the American system of the four plus two and the in the in the six years and and the and, and, and the masters, so they had a conversation uh, about that during the the Bologna meetings and the accord. Uh, but but I think that this this protectionism that is that is taking place in the U.S. of the of the profession and in, in the end, I think uh, it will hinder our, our possibilities to. Uh, to uh, to move younger generation towards having you know more access to places where they can make decisions and and they can make a difference. Uh, I, I don't want to make sweeping statements of of uh, or create a you know to say that I have the 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 solutions. I, I, I'm an observer and I have questions and and I think I've been in positions to observe and to question and 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 to and to discuss. And I want to bring those discussions to to the table with with other people who have observed and have the power of uh, of making decisions uh, to talk about not where we, not just where we are right now, but where we're going to be in five and and ten years, and how do we make the best decisions to facilitate that process and facilitate the best result. So, Baku, we're coming to the last maybe four or five minutes of the of the interview. So, i I would like to I would love to hear um, if you could share maybe some of your uh, most recent academic initiatives. What are you excited about um, that you're currently advancing at the University of Illinois? And then I'd love to an, uh, end with the question I'm asking all my guests. But prior to that, what are some of the things you're excited about that you've been able to advance at the University of Illinois? Well, right now I am I am uh, sitting down in a uh, in in Chicago in, in a room in in, in Chicago and uh, and I'm trying to uh, to bring together our university and the city of Chicago and and, and practitioners and the alumni board in Chicago closer. Uh, we we have a studio, uh, actually a resident studio here in Chicago and another one in Barcelona. And this summer, we're going to start one program which is called ABC Studio. It's architecture in Barcelona and Chicago. So the students are going to. And some weeks in Barcelona, and some weeks in in Chicago. Uh, one of the other things that that we started with uh, with uh, 
with the professionals and, and the, the practitioners in Chicago. It's the, the joint studios uh, with, uh, with firms. So we have had Gensler, we have had HDR, which uh, Keller Slater, uh, working on studios uh, with, our, with our university. So students have been working in studios in their firms and, and then getting uh, uh, internships with them. We've had the firms coming into, into Illinois. And, and this is not really cheapening the, the education. I, I think what it's doing is that we, we have an opportunity for, for a healthy uh, exchange of, of ideas and, and we can make, I think we can make the profession better and the profession can help us make, uh, make uh, academic edu- professional academic education uh, better. So, so as long as we understand it as a dialogue where we both have a place on the table and, and we can not one of them telling us, telling the other what they should do, so uh, the other thing that we're doing is 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 finding a way for our students to to participate in in international studios. This year we we had five uh, destinations. Our students went to Japan. They went to Vancouver. They went to uh, Paris. They they went to New York. They went to Puerto Rico. And last semester they went to five destinations as well. So we're going to maintain that uh, idea of, of of getting them to move, you know, from Champagne to Chicago and from Chicago to the world. Paco, I can see the enthusiasm. And now I'm going to be the bad guy since we're coming to the end. I'm going to have to cut your initiative short so that you can answer my last question, yes. which is what is your favorite city and why, Paco? Well, I've lived in some really nice ones uh, like Boston and Chicago and Barcelona and Madrid and Paris. But in the end, I always keep coming back to my old San Juan in, in Puerto Rico. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny, many people who answer that question somehow return home, yeah. um, which I think uh, speaks to the power of place in our formative years. Thank you, Paco, uh, for the wonderful conversation. Thank you for the work that you're doing to build bridges and uh, to make our profession uh, a, not only have a better present, but a better future. Um, thank you for thank- the opportunity and, and thanks to all of who are listening Next week, I'm going to be speaking with Carolyn Steele, the author of Hungry City and Setopia. We're going to be discussing how food shapes our lives and the cities that we live in. Do not miss this conversation. You can listen to all of the previous episodes of On City on Spotify, Apple iTunes, or your favorite podcast platforms. Please follow us on the On Cities podcast on Instagram, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to On Cities with Carrie Pennebod. We hope today's episode has given you some insight into how the design of the built environment shapes the quality of our lives. Please join us again next week 